0: You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Can you hear me now? Yes. It's exciting to be here and to be back in Los Angeles. You know, this, you guys, I don't know if you know it, but you need to realize what a blessed group you are. I, I got hate mail this morning. From Boston, one of the brothers that I normally go to church with, he sent me an email this morning and the the subject line was just simply, Bitterness. (laughs) Bitterness, that's all he said. And then he showed me his little screenshot of the weather in Boston this morning. This morning at church, the weather was minus nine degrees. So when I walked outside, I said, brother, you need to repent. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Bitterness is a sin. <laughs> but you know, you're blessed. It's a beautiful place. You've got a beautiful family together. You've got, you've got the the kingdom best singer, songwriter, Brian Craig. And he's like your local guy. It, it, you're, that's ridiculous. And then, then you have that mountain of macho manhood. Steve Marici there. He's your preacher. He's this... He, you know, he's one of those guys. He makes gray hair look good. That's crazy. Everybody else is a getting it out, and he's like, no, I bask in this. Look at me. But you know, it, not only is is he uh, physically imposing, but he has a heart that goes with that body too. And, you know, I I hope Worldwide has gone through a big transition. They're revamping the whole organization. Robert Carrillo stepped up. And and I spoke to a whole group of leaders from North America in Jamaica about four months ago. And I said, we need, there's a Jamaican in the house, amen. Um, They said, we, I said, we need people who are going to step up and who really have the heart for the poor to help lead this and we broke the the nation up into six different groups and even as I was speaking Steve was texting or sending an email saying listen if you need somebody to step up on behalf of the poor count me in and so from all the churches in the southwestern part of the United States he's heading up that program and I really respect and admire that not only that, he was fired up in the missions meeting yesterday about MCA and all the things going on in Mexico and Central America. It's very encouraging. And it's great to build a friendship with him. I'm looking forward to that in the future. But, you know, I've been to L.A. several times before. I came to teen camp a few years and I did something good and I did a few bad things. I found out today that I, I hurt Justin's feeling. I met Justin this morning. He said, you remember me? I said, No. He said, we played basketball and you blocked my shot and then you preached about it. <clears throat> so he's been holding bitterness for some time. Now, I heard you've got some grief recovery program. He needs to get in that right away. He's, he's got issues, you know, he's got problems. and I, From time to time, I do preach about basketball. and I know that's not right, but it's fun. Okay, so then I met Mark Randall and he said, oh, I remember you. He said, you came and did a singles event in Palm Springs. He said, and at that event, I met my wife. And I, I said, I hope I had something to do with it, but I doubt it. But anyway, we were there together. He said, and our daughter got baptized this week. That's awesome. But she, it's very encouraging. But I have a concern about the spiritual condition of this church. Because I've also... I've visited with some other folks in this church, and and there's a brother here that's in this church. That on Sunday morning he's very well dressed. He has on a pink shirt right now and a jacket. He looks like a Christian, and he acts like a Christian on Sunday morning. But I played basketball with this brother, and and he's the devil in a in a in, in a uniform. He has no mercy. He's very selfish. Somebody said he hardly ever shoots when he doesn't have the ball. So, uh, uh, But I know he looks good. Calvin Johnson, he looks good right here. But I need the elders to get in here. Somebody's got to work on this man's heart. <laughs> now it's, you, Elaine says she's been trying for years. Give it up. Some things you just have to learn to accept. I'm going to talk about building family in the kingdom of God today. And I I want you just to look around you and see all the diversity that you have as family in this church. Go ahead. Just look around. It's nice. It's cool. All right. Now you need to be able to see two things today. You need to be able to see the screen and you need to be able to see a Bible. So go ahead and open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 because that's where we're going to start. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Calvin is taking me to the airport, so I better be nice for the rest of the time, or he will make me miss my flight. I'm in a great mood today, I'm very encouraged, I was very encouraged with the meeting about hope, I was very encouraged with the MCA, I'm very encouraged to be with you, but I'm really encouraged about this week because right after church, I probably won't be here for fellowship, I'm going to fly to Maui where uh, I'm going to do the wedding of my son in Maui. So uh, that's very encouraging. And I'm really looking forward to that. I've been dieting, so I'm ready for my my beach body there. I've been, and as I've aged, my whiteness is a liability, because if I go from Boston frozen tundra to to all the way to Maui, when I get out in the sun, I just break out in heat rash everywhere. So in order to prepare, I have to go to the tanning booth, which is a very weird place for a man of my maturity to go. (laughs) So I go with Joyce. I hold her hand and we hang out with all the teen girls in Boston. It's really awesome. But I have my little base tan now, so I'm ready to go. (laughs) First Corinthians chapter four, we're talking about building God's family. And in verse 14, it says, I'm not writing this to shame you. Now, whenever somebody begins a statement with that, you know, there's something challenging coming. But to warn you as my dear children, even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in the gospel of Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I'm sending you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, with agree, agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church you know Paul says right here he describes the spiritual connections that he has with the family connections that we have in our biological families point number one it's more than biology and I don't know if this is working can we get the first slide up by faith Boy, what a great name that is okay is it there are you waiting on me oh there it is this is hard to see. You're going to see silhouettes mostly, I think. These, this, that's me, the tallest one on that side. The one in the middle is my son, Chris. He's my biological son. And the one on the left is my son-in-law. That's Michael. He's a vice president at Goldman in, in Manhattan. And he married my daughter about six years ago. And you know, I have a third son. I have three sons. I have Chris, I have Michael, and then I also have uh, Nathaniel who's our adopted son, who we adopted from India when he was 10 years old. And so when I think about my sons, biology is a piece of that puzzle, but there's a lot more than biology to my family. You know, even in my own life, my parents were divorced when I was 10. Um, My mom remarried. My mom is Pat Gemple. She's the white-haired lady who used to work with Hope all the time. Um, And, you know, Bob Gemple became my stepdad when I was 12 years old. My physical father hasn't reached out to me in 40 years. I saw him last summer for the first time in 20 years because I chased him down and I found him. But you know, when, I, when someone says, who's your dad? In my head, my dad is Bob Gimple. Now I also am still loyal and trying to reach out to my biological dad, but you know, family is more than just biology. You know, Modern Family is a very humorous uh, show that's filmed around here. I think Calvin lives in that neighborhood or something. But but, but the idea when we think about family, the kingdom of God can be a family like you've never had before. I have two sisters. I have one sister that I grew up with, Kim. I have another sister who was given up at birth for adoption. And we found her 26 years later. I met her for the first time when she was 26 and I was about 31. I love them both the same. God puts the lonely in families. And in this passage, he says, I became your father through the gospel. And he says, I'm sending you Timothy, my son. Timothy wasn't really his son. But I think what we have to understand is as we look around the church, there can be people... In the kingdom of God who are as close or even closer than our own family. You know, the reason that we're standing here, um, my son in the middle, Chris, he did uh, what they call a tough mutter. Now, a tough mudder is a 10-mile race with 26 obstacles in the middle. And there have been about 2 million people who've done it. Now, this, is the, this will be one of the first things that we look at there. But basically, you get out, and you climb through mud, and you do all of this stuff. And the thing, the thing is, we did it with about 2,000 people in New Jersey. It was 58 degrees. You get soaked in ice water. And all these guys go out there. Now, the truth is, the average age of this crowd is around 27. I'm double that. But somebody said, well, why would you at your stage do a tough mutter? But the reason is because I want to be close with my sons. We are going to do something together. And, you know, as we talk about family, we've got to understand in order to be family, we need to do something together. I'll guarantee you this. You can come here and sit in this service every week and you can walk out the door. And feel lonely as anything. Yeah. You say, how can you be lonely? Look at all these nice people. They hug you. Because if you don't really engage in the work of the Lord, yeah. you'll be associates. Yeah. You won't be family. Yeah. Look at Second Corinthians chapter 1. Second thought. First thought is it's more than biological. The second thought is we need to know we need each other. Let me show you something cool in this passage. Now, when you read about the Apostle Paul, he's a hero. He's like, he's a champion. He got stoned nearly to death. He preached incredible sermons. He impacted thousands and thousands of people. But look what he says here in describing the relationship we need to have with each other and with God. In chapter 1 and verse 3, he says, Praise be to God, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3. The father of compassion and the God of comfort who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort, comfort we ourselves have received from God. Let's stop for a second. Do you understand what that verse is saying? It's saying God will encourage you so that you can help other people. Four years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer, thyroid cancer. I talked to Calvin. He encouraged me. Uh, but I had to have surgery and, you know, they, they cut my throat seven inches and um, they took out the they took out most all the cancer. They didn't get it all, but they got almost all of it. But, you know, before that time I was so healthy, I never could understand how to encourage people. Because when I would meet a sick person, I would just feel bad for him. If I went in a hospital, I kind of tightened up because I thought I don't know what to say going through that trial and that ordeal has equipped me in a remarkable way. Yeah. Now, every few months, I get a call from somebody who was just diagnosed with cancer. And you know what, I, in a weird way, I look forward to those calls because I know what to say. I know what they're going through. I talked to a brother just last week and, and he'd just been diagnosed and he was in, it was the waiting period from when you know you have it till you get the surgery. That's a nasty period. That's a period I used to have to go pray an hour and a half every day just to get my brain to slow down for a minute. But you know, the Bible says God comforts us so we can comfort other people. I went and preached in a part of Boston the other day and I got a big package and it was from a sister who was also diagnosed with cancer and I talked with her several times as she went through it. And she said, you have no idea how much your comfort meant to me. But God expects us to be helping one another. Look in verse 4. I'm sorry, verse 8. This is an interesting passage. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Instead, Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and will deliver us on him. We have set our hope that we that he will continue to deliver us as you have helped us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on behalf of the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. You know, Paul, he said, I don't want you to be uninformed about my struggles. Let me ask you something. How eager are you to share your struggles with other people? Let me speak to the men for a minute. Cuz the girls do a little better on this one. The girls are like, "Help me." I mean, they they're okay. They don't mind that. <laughs> not all, but many. "Help me. I'm a damsel in distress." It's not cool to be a dude in distress. Men are like, "I'm good." What's the matter? My leg's cut off. I'm good. You know, <laughs> we don't, we don't want to admit that we're struggling. You know, this, this right here uh, in, in, in the Tough Mudder is called Mount Everest. And what this is, is this is a ramp, a wall that goes out about as high as where those words uh, no quit in here. That's where, that's how high the wall is. And you run about the width of this stage and then you run up what's like a a, a ramp for a skateboarder, and then you have to throw yourself at the top because it's not possible to get up over the top with your own momentum, and you see then people grab a hold of you and pull you up. Now, this is the first point. This was after about 14 miles. I thought, what am I doing here? (laughs) I'm old, doggone it, I'm old. and and so I I, I got up there and and, you know you see people standing there and they're thinking about it am I gonna go or what am I gonna do you know that's really what's going on and so my son went and then my other son-in-law went and they got up there they grabbed and they climbed right up that was cool they're young flexible vigorous but (laughs) I ran to a part that was not them okay I ran up, and a couple guys grabbed me, and I ran with all my might. And, and, and even as I'm running with all my might, I'm 58 years old, running with all your might across a mud field at a wall seems strange. But I thought, just do it. Run, 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 run. And, and one guy grabbed me. Another guy tried to pull my leg. And then they thought, he's kind of big. And they let me go. They did. They let me go. I needed help I needed help badly I felt a little bit like this guy give us the next slide if you would here's this dude now he he didn't get quite enough time to train for this event but he's there and now you see there's hands up above grabbing him then there are people pushing him but that big old boy is so heavy they need people pushing the pushers to get him up the wall He knows there's no way he's getting over Mount Everest without a whole village of people to help him over the top. He knows that. But, you know, if you're really going to build family, we need to know that we need each other. We're sure I can't do this on my own. That's the key about Mount Everest. Finally, I saw my two sons up there. I said, now, hey. You grab me. <laughs> and I ran the next time and I jumped up and they grabbed my hands. And at first I thought, well, I'm going to try to push myself up. But actually I said, no, bag this. I just acted like a dead fish. <laughs> I just left my hands like this. And they snatched me up on the deck like wicked tuna. You know, when they hook a big tuna and they put them on the deck. That was me. I said, way to go, boys. We're family. I mean, I was awesome. But that's what you need. You know, I had a brother, a young brother, come to me just last week. And he said, hey, he said, I need to talk to you. I never know what that's about when they say I need to talk to you. But I set up a time to talk to him. He said, I've been struggling with pornography. He said, it's demoralizing me, and I'm afraid for my faith. He said, but I, I need some help, and I wanted to get some input from you. I said, dude, the best thing you did is this first step. You're going to make it now. Yeah. We're going to work together. We're going to get this figured out. Yeah, amen. But there's some of us who are getting e- eaten up by pornography and we're not, we're not willing to admit it. We're not willing to say, hey, I need help. Like this dude, this is us really, spiritually. Yeah. Now we look at that and they say, that poor old man, look at him. But that's us. And now at Mount Everest, we don't all have the same Mount Everest. For some of us, that kind of purity discipline is easy. But for us to trust in God and give up worrying is our Mount Everest. For some of us to shake off just negative thoughts and faithless thinking and discouragement. It's Mount Everest. We'll never get up there by ourselves. For some of us, our marriage is our Mount Everest. You know, sometimes I meet single people and they say, man, I'm so sad I'm single. I said, being sad as a single is one thing. (laughs) There is a darker sadness. And that's somebody who feels trapped in a marriage. And they can't figure out. It's their Mount Everest. But do you know you need somebody? You know, God designed us in this way. Even the Apostle Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to not know what I need. Our children can be our Mount Everest. (laughs) You know what I find funny? I find people without kids who give parenting advice hilarious. (laughs) I had some nephews and nieces. They started having kids. One of them had kids first. Kid was making noise, crying at night. And, and the other one was, well, I just put them, I just do this, I just do this. <laughs> Then they had a kid. Never mind. I just do nothing. I, I. <laughs> but we need it. But, you know, here Paul says, I, I just want you to know. And the reason I want you to know is so you'll pray for me. Mm-hmm. You know, when I had cancer, man, I put the word out. <laughs> Joyce is a more private person. Not me. I don't want to explain it to everybody a thousand times. So I just sent a long email to everybody I knew that said, here's the deal. Here's the story. Okay. I don't want to keep telling the story. But what that resulted in is people all over the world praying for me. And now I have people say, man, I've been praying for you. I said, God's been with me. It's good. I'm good. I'm doing well. And we feel bonded. That's the concept. The concept is be open about your life. Let them help you. Let them pray for you. And then when God brings the victory, it brings us all together. That's how you build family in the kingdom of God. We need to know that we need each other. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 23. 1 Samuel chapter 23. Can we go to the next slide? I have been banished. I'm like in the back seat and the window lock is on. Now, when you talk about family, okay, and building family, one of the best relationships that's ever described in the Bible is between a prince and probably a preteen, and that's David and Jonathan. Jonathan was a prince. David was so small that they didn't even consider him a man. You know how that is when you're a teenage boy growing up. Oh, man. And your voice starts to change and people start calling you ma'am on the phone. That's really discouraging. <laughs> you want credibility. Hello. I mean, you're trying to grow up. It's hard. That's who David was. He was so scrawny when he put on Saul's clothes and they just hung on him like a tent. He was a little puny. Jonathan was a prince and they had the best friendship in the whole world. What's cool about the kingdom of God is you can be close with radically different people. <laughs> and we read right here basically what's happened. <laughs> Jonathan's the prince. He's the next one in command. David is the, he's the upstart. But then he was heroic and everybody was fired up about him and, and Saul felt threatened and so he's trying to kill David and David's on the run. And in chapter 23 and verse 15, it says this. While David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. Do not, don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horesh. You know, this is an incredible testimony to relationships in God's kingdom. Saul is the prince. When you're the prince, you're the heir. You're the next one up. You're going to be the king. And Jonathan says to his little runt friend, dude, you want to know the good news? I'm here. My dad's not going to get you, and you're going to be the king, and I'm going to be right behind you. What a noble heart. What a determination. But you know, the Bible says that Jonathan helped David find strength in God. What does that mean? If someone helps you find strength in God, what does that mean? You can can learn something by reading verse 17. Verse 16 ends with, he helped him find strength in God. Verse 17 begins with, don't be afraid. You see, when we're struggling in our faith, very often we're afraid of something. This picture that you see behind me was the most intimidating of all of the obstacles to me. This was an obstacle. You see, you notice there's like monkey bars that go up over the top. And this was an open space about as wide as this stage. And what you did is you climbed up onto that platform, and then there was a ladder that took you up to the pinnacle. And so you climbed hand over hand on the ladder, and then when you got to the top, there was a swinging bar that swung you across, and then there was a pole that you were going to have to go hand over hand down. Now we got up there, and I began to watch, because you notice there's a Baptist street underneath here. (laughs) And you can see that guy, his head's bobbing up. And, and basically, this was the pool of humiliation. Because if you dropped off of there, you dropped into the neck deep water, and you had to paddle through the muddy water to get to the other side. So I stood and observed for a little while as people went. And I told my sons, I said, oh, this one's the pits. The bad thing about this is when you flail on this one, everybody sees there's a big splash. And I started to watch. And you know who was in the water? Every older guy on this adventure. (laughs) Old guys, when they got up there, here I go. Uh, uh, uh," And then the baptism, they're gone. The next one. Old guys, overweight people. Because overweight, okay, I can still chug 10 miles. You know, I can do that. If you're overweight, you're not going to get this one done. And women, all the women. There was only two women I saw that made it. And people say, oh, he's being sexist. No, I'm not. I'm reporting what happened, Okay. (laughs) You gotta have a lot of upper body strength to do this thing. But I was with my boys, I said, Dudes, this one's, I'm, this feel. this is the burden right here. I don't feel good about this. But I never forget them, come on, Dad, you can do it. You're to do it, Dad, it's gonna be all right. And of course, what they say, we'll go first. The little monkeys, they just, <laughs> then they're standing on the other side, come on, come on. I'm like, oh Lord, I'm gonna get humiliated. You can do it. And I jumped up and I grabbed that thing. And you know, if you've got to climb all the way up and all the way down, you should feel awesome in the first second. When you grab on, you should feel like, I got this. Because you know it's going to get a lot worse from there. I jumped up, I grabbed that thing. I thought, I don't have this. This is not good. So I reached out. uh, I climbed. and, And I got to the top. Man, my forearms are pulsing, just boom, boom. And I thought, this oh, they're all going to see me. This is terrible. And, and then I reached out and I grabbed that bar. And I swung to the other side. And then I started going down this way. And my body started swinging wildly. I kicked the guy over here. Boom. I was just, but I was out of control. I got right to the bottom and I dropped and I touched. And they grabbed my hand, pulled me right on. And I made it. I was fired up. I was so happy after that. But why was that? It's because I was afraid. Because I didn't want to get humiliated because I didn't believe I could do it. And I hugged my two sons. Thanks, guys. That was awesome. I'm going to preach about this. That's what I said. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, we all need that from each other. And the funny thing is, for those guys, they said, oh, no, no, you can do it. It'll be easy. Well, that's easy for them to say. Because they don't have the same struggle. They, they don't have the, the you know body mass to strength ratio that I have. For them, it was quite easy. But that's the way all of our struggles are. Yeah. There are other people in the fellowship who say, You can do this. I can help you. I have a lot of faith about this. And they can lift you up. Amen. We need friends to help us face our fears. Yeah. Look in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We need to understand if we're really going to build family... It's always going to be a struggle. It's always going to be a struggle. People get like that. I don't know. This church is messed up or this place is messed up because we got problems. Hey, 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 hey. Who are you? You don't have problems. You're, you're pure as the driven snow. You're just righteous and noble at every turn. You've never blocked a shot and preached about it. Broke a brother's heart for 10 years. You never did that. Come on now. It's always going to be a struggle. Look, at, Paul describes it here in Colossians chapter 1, what it's like to work together and build this family. Look what he says in verse 24. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you. Okay, we're starting out right away saying you I had to suffer for. <laughs> and fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, yeah, God died for you, but there's still a lot of work to do. And I'm going to do that work. I have become His servant by the commission that God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden from ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles his glorious riches and the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor struggling with all his energy, which is so powerfully working in me. Do you see what he's saying right there? He's saying this work of building family, of presenting each other perfect in Christ, is hard, hard, hard work. Some of us, we want closeness without any effort. I want to feel part of something awesome, I just don't want to do anything. We get the next slide. This is one of the obstacles and everybody's gotta get over this wall. Now, you're hoping, see there's a real short girl right there, but she's got a pretty buff dude underneath her, you know, you see his guns, man, He's just let rip. He's gonna throw her over that wall. <laughs> but you see, all these guys are muddy, and, and the way this works is this, this whole event is not timed. The goal is just to get your team over. And so everybody's covered in mud on their face, on their arm. They know this is messy. But you know the incredible thing? 50 feet from here are spectators who are standing well-dressed, warm, dry, (laughs) snapping. Oh, look, cute, cute. Here, get another one of a selfie. I'm with them. You know, they're, they're over there being the fans. They don't get a thrill, really, out of this event. There's an incredible sense of camaraderie when you know this is going to be a struggle. I'm going to work hard. There's times when I need help. There's times when I need other people's help. You see, this wall's interesting because once you climb over, that big boy, he's happy. He's almost there now. Once you get over, there's actually a ledge you can stand on to help the next ones along. But Paul knew from the beginning it's going to be a struggle. Sometimes we get disillusioned with one another. I'm trying to build a relationship with her, and she's a pain in the neck. Not, nothing about you says, okay, over here. But Paul says, hey, this is my job. Jesus died so that we can be saved. At least I can do is work hard Amen. to help people be perfect in Christ. Are you ready for this right here, to look like this, to be like this? When there's a problem in the church, when somebody's struggling, do you hope they don't ask you to help? Or do you say, hey, 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 this one needs help. I'm going to get over here on all fours. I'm going to let them stand on my back. I'm going to lift them up. I'll do whatever it takes to get them over this obstacle. It's always going to be a struggle. Two quick points. Second Corinthians chapter four. You can go to the next slide. Pictures and scriptures. That's what this is about. This message. We're going to do this uh, event again with my other son now and a lot of the cousins are joining in so we're going to build family one more time this year and then I may settle into the sunset (laughs) as a veteran. Look in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians and let's start in verse 16. He says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Can I get an amen from Calvin Johnson on that? Okay, here we go. (laughs) Outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You know, he says right here, he said, we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus And we're going to go through light and momentary troubles. I saw a little clip on some of the guys who were at Benghazi and were fighting at Benghazi. And one guy whose arm had been pretty much severed. It was just dangling. And he talked about trying to straighten it up. And it wouldn't straighten up. But he didn't care because he was still in the fight. And then he got on the helicopter to be medevaced out. But he wanted to walk. He didn't want to be on a stretcher. He said, no, no, I can do it. And I thought, dude, your arm is hanging off but he had an idea that's a light momentary trouble I'm not worried about that I'm I'm here to serve you know the longer you're in the kingdom the more sad tales you can tell that's the deal there was a time in our fellowship when we only did good news sharing everything every story had to have a happy ending and then we went through a season where we only did bad news sharing that was not very encouraging (laughs) oh yeah I got worse than that you know uh, But Paul looks at his life, his beatings, his suffering, his criticism, everything he went through as what? Light and momentary. Let me go to this next. This, this one's very hard to see. All I'll point out is that that tall silhouette there is me going through the finish line. This is the finish line, okay, uh, which is very good, amen? Uh, I still like stories that end well. But what you cannot see, flip to the next slide, we'll see if we can see it any better. This is what you've come through, Okay. And at the end of the tough mutter is this um, sort of trellis of electrical wires that hang down that have uh, 50,000 volt shocks in them. And then, and it's about as far as from that curtain to over here. And, and you run through what looks like just uh, Christmas ornaments, but, but they're electrical wires. And about one in six of them is electrified, but you don't know which one. And so, and then on, on the ground below you, They make it all mud. And then they put bales of hay, rows of hay, to trip you so that you'll do what this big boy did and hit the mud. And so, again, at the beginning, everyone stands there. And I lean over to my son, who had done this once before. And I said, son, uh, has anybody ever died doing this part? (laughs) And he said, no, actually, I googled it. No one's ever died. I said, no one's ever died, right? He said, no one's ever died. I said, "Okay, then here's the deal. We're gonna go straight, and you know you're gonna get hit. You know you're gonna get shocked, but we just gotta get through this thing. This is the last thing, and the thing I don't wanna do, I do not wanna do, is fall on my face in the mud at the last, cause I saw one woman, she fell in the mud, then she stood up and shocked her again, she went back down, I said, oh God. I was watching. I said, I, I don't wanna be that girl right there. I said, we are going straight. And the wildest thing is you start to run and all of a sudden that first one hits you. And I'm serious, it moves your arm that much. I mean, you're just jerking. And I thought, no, I'm going straight. I'm going straight. And and you get all the way through. But that's that's what this passage is talking about. Because I'll guarantee you, the run from your baptism to your death is likely decades long. And I'll guarantee you, Satan's got this set up for you. There'll be a heartbreak in your romantic life that'll want to put you in the mud. There'll be a financial situation that is overwhelming. There'll be a sin in your life that just slaps you down. But Paul says, you know what? I fixed my eyes on Jesus, and I make it through that thing. And we've got to encourage one another. All three of us got together. (laughs) One, One group joined arms. Yes. Their team joined arms. The bad thing about joining arms is you actually share in everybody's electrocution. So <laughs> that's not a good concept. Don't do that. My son Chris said, no, 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 you get yours, I'll get mine. Okay, we'll go. Let's go. <laughs> that, that part you don't want to share. I'll share with you on the other side. But this is when Paul says, man, these are light and momentary troubles. Once Chris told me I can't die, Then, then it's light, momentary. It did curl my hair; it made it look nice. (laughs) I used to be straight and black before that. Okay. (laughs) Why do we do it? You know that (laughs) fun. Elaine wants to go. Why do you do it? Look in First Corinthians chapter nine, and we'll finish there. Why do you do it? Because you know we're talking about getting in the battle. And growing close, helping each other, getting through the challenges. And in verse 24 of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it answers the question. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave. So that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. You know, Paul says right here, why do we do it? He said, we do it to get a crown that will last. If in the Tough mutter competition, go to the last slide. This is why you do it. You do all that, and they give you a headband. And I have my headband right here. Now, the first time you do it, you get an orange headband. If you do it twice, you get a green headband. And you can trade up, and there's actually a 10 times, you know, masochistic headband that you get. But at the end of this race, after the shocks and all of that, everybody is wearing these goofy headbands, and just feeling proud. You know, this passage says, and you know what? The future of this headband is going to be in a sock drawer somewhere, you know? It, who cares about this stupid thing? <laughs> but, but what Paul says is in athletics, you do it for a crown that won't last. But we're working for a crown that will last forever. You know, my sons right now are not in a good relationship with God. But I work hard. To have a friendship with them. To keep a strong relationship with them. Because I want to have this picture. This is a fun picture. But there's another vision I have. Which is in standing in heaven together. And that's what it's all about. You know we go through hard times. You may get shocked. You may get hurt. But don't give up your salvation over it. Don't let Satan win a double victory. We need to do it. To get a crown that will last forever. Today's Valentine's Day, it's a celebration of love. But what I want to talk about for just a minute is the love we have for each other and the way we build family in the kingdom of God. Let's stand together and sing. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.